Wish you a happy middle of the summer. Uh, we have taken on a pretty weighty subject, uh, especially for summer. So if you're just um, popping in, uh, we are nearing the conclusion of our study of the subject of sexual purity. Especially because we have people only coming in occasionally, it's worth repeating that the reason we're taking on this subject and spending so much time talking about it is that we love God and we don't want to sin against God. That's why we're talking about purity and especially sexual purity. Not only because we love God, but because we want to see God. Do you remember that just a few moments ago we sang, um, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I want to see you? We sang that over and over and over again. Do you remember with your own mouth saying that over and over and over again? I want to see you. Do you remember that one of the prerequisites for seeing God is purity? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5. Do you know that that's true? That that's foundational? We're taking on this subject because we love God and because we want to see him. I want you to see him and to enjoy him. That's all I do. That's all I point you to in whatever time I have at Prairie Hill. I will consider this time a success. I just want you to point, point you to God and let you see him, believing that he is the beautiful one that will satisfy you. So that's why we've come here. Our approach hopefully has been and hopefully will continue to be God-centered, not self-centered, but God-centered, more than just trying to avoid sin or keep some rules. We want to see uh, the Lord God and enjoy him in relationship. Psalm 119 is our text. Find your way, please, to Psalm 119 in your Bible, verses 9 through 16. So just this one eight-verse segment from the longest psalm in the Bible, 119, beginning in verse 9. We noticed a few weeks ago there's a question at the very beginning. It's a question that we're all interested in, men, women, uh, men, women, children. How can a young man keep his way pure? It opens with that question. Following that, we have a multi-stranded answer. To that question. It's an answer in five parts, at least five parts, five parts that I've just discerned from reading through the scriptures. And all the parts are important. It's a multi-stranded answer. It's not just one answer to the question. We've talked about two of them already. We've talked about our posture and how that's important. We've talked about our affections and how that's important. Today we're noticing our activity. We're getting into the subject of what do we do, especially in regard to what we do with the Word, the Word of God, the Scriptures, okay? If our goal is purity, we have to consider our activity, and that's our special subject today, our activity. Let's read through this section um, once again, verses 9 through 16, and let's stand in honor of God and His Word, shall we? This is what we find How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. 
Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Father, unless um, the Holy Spirit invests power in these moments, um, we don't have any hope. There's no hope here in a human teacher, but there's a lot of hope in a Holy Spirit-inspired text, in a Holy Spirit that is still alive and active, um, in a preacher, in a congregation, in a church that has submitted itself to the authority of the Holy Spirit. And so we do that now corporately. We're gathered for that purpose. Confront us with the word. Change us by the power of the word. For we ask in Jesus' beautiful name, amen. Please be seated. The first thing that we want to do is notice in this passage all of the activity surrounding the word. We notice all the activity surrounding the word. The word is mentioned first and last. You see that in verse 9? The word is mentioned first by guarding it according to your word. Very end, the word is mentioned last. I will not forget your word. The word at the beginning, the word at the end, and the word in the middle. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. The word is mentioned first and last. It's mentioned in the middle. The word is mentioned by several other names. The word is referred to in several different ways. Commandments, statutes. All of these terms are in this section. Commandments, statutes, rules, testimonies, precepts. Did you know that there were so many different ways to refer to the word? Notice the verbs used in reference to the word. Verse 9, guarding by the word. Verse 11, storing up the word. Verse 13, declare the word. Verse 16, meditating on the word or precepts. So, all through this section, we have this idea of activity with the word. We could say that the author is active in the word. They're guarding it, storing it up, declaring it, meditating on it. So, what's the conclusion that we come to? If we're looking for an answer to the question posed in verse 9, how can we keep our way pure? A big part of keeping our way pure must be being active in the word. And probably many of you are active in the word and have been for a long time. Think about all the ways that we can be and that we are active in the word. All the different ways. We're reading it, studying it, memorizing the word, teaching or preaching the word, We're listening 
to the word as we listen to music and the lyrics of those songs. We listen to the word. We're being creative with the word. Some of you have incredible creative abilities and the word is your material. You're creating poetry or songs or sculpture with the word. Some of you are even translating the word. Some people have those gifts. You're called to language work with the word. Reading, studying, memorizing, teaching, listening, translating, creating. There are many ways to be active in the word. Many of them are represented in this room. Many are represented in Psalm 119. And our very simple observation here at the start is that one strand of the answer to this question. How can a young man keep his way pure is being active in the word. Apparently, that's a huge part of it. That's the one thing that's really obvious from reading this eight-verse section. Every verse makes reference to the word. Each of the eight verses, all of them say something about the word. So apparently one strand of the answer, one way that we keep our way pure is being active in the word of God. Now that statement raises a whole lot of questions. And not only that, it also raises concerns and maybe even anxieties. Maybe even pain. I I hope it also raises hope. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to discuss the caveats about being in the scriptures first. We're going to address some of the negative feelings or experiences that may surround this idea. And then we're going to look with hope and faith at what the author actually tells us about the word. We're going to take it a hard look at what is actually being said about the word of God and what's actually being taught so that we can understand and so that we can be helped. Okay? Now, caveats first about being active in the word. Caveat is a warning or a limitation. And here are three of them. First of all, being active in the word is not a silver bullet. That is to say, it is not the answer. It is not the only answer. Being active in the word does not solve all of our purity issues. Sexual purity is not simply a matter of reading your Bible more. I had someone share with me recently that as we got into this series, that a feeling of dread was overtaking them there was a fear that what was going to be presented as the answer to our problems was simply reading our Bibles more. Because that's 
where we could go with verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. They were fearful that that and that alone would be presented as, here's the answer to your problems with sexual purity. They were just expressing gratitude that that's not what had been shared. And I think they're right. I agree with them. Reading the Bible is not the only thing presented to us here as an answer. These issues surrounding sexual purity can be so deeply rooted in our lives and so long-standing. They can impact our lives to such a high degree and for such a long time that we do not do ourselves any favors when we look for quick, easy Simple answers. What we are after and what is presented to us here in Psalm 119 is nothing less than a complete overhaul of our interior life. Our heart attitudes are addressed, we call that our posture. Our affections are addressed. We talked about that last week. Our activities are addressed. That's today. Our dependence on God is addressed, or the role of the Holy Spirit. That's next week. And our will is addressed, our resolve. That's coming in two weeks. So the answer that's given to us here is not simple. It's a complete overhaul of our interior Life. We're really talking about spiritual formation on the inside, the creation of a, a renovated soul. The reformation of your soul that will bring lasting change. There are lots of things that we may want to see changed about our lives. We, we may have something about our weight that we want to change. W-E-I-G-H-T. Something about our anger. Maybe it is something about our sexuality. Maybe it's something about our marriage. And whatever the issue is that you'd like to see change in, whatever area of your life, there are lots of things out there on the marketplace that you can find that promise quick results. And that really excites us because we want to see these things happen quickly. But what we really want in all of those areas, whether it's weight management or marriage or anger issues or sexuality, what we really want is lasting change, sustainable change, something that affects our whole lifestyle. And that's what Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16 gives us regarding our sexuality describes a reformation of the soul around God instead of ourselves. A reorientation of your soul around God instead of yourself. Sexual impurity. When we enter into that realms of things we ought not do with our mind and our body, things that God has placed off limits, when we pursue those things, what we really do is place ourselves at the very center and say, I will be worshiped. Today, I will be desired. I will be in control. Everything will happen according to what I want to happen. 
And God is displaced. And we become the center. And our souls are in need of reshaping. And reforming. And redirecting. And that's a massive undertaking. And that takes time. And that takes the Holy Spirit. Right now, we're just noticing that being active in the Word is not the only answer. It's one strand of a huge project. Second caveat, this one hardly needs to be said. Being active in the Word is not a guarantee of purity. So first caveat, being active in the word is not a silver bullet. It's not the only thing that we need to think about. Second caveat, being active in the word is not a guarantee of purity. That hardly needs to be said. Even deep, prolonged exposure to the word of God is no guarantee of sexual purity. And we're not going to talk about this for long because it's so obvious in the scriptures In history, in our own experience, supporting evidence barely needs to be mentioned. One of the plainest things under the sun is that great exposure to God's word does not necessarily result in a life pleasing to God. In fact, many times on many days, it appears that there's a negative correlation between those things, that the more time someone spends in the word of God, the more likely they are to be an offender. Not saying that's true. I'm saying that that feeling, those things can be so visible and so painful that it seems like that can be true. And we could list all kinds of contemporary examples of horrible, impure atrocities committed by ministers of the gospel, pastors, clergy, ministers. You know, the ones who spend all their time in the word. The ones for whom that is their job. We've just seen enough to know for sure that activity in the word does not necessarily result in purity. It just doesn't. Now, Having listed those first two caveats, one possible response is to throw the word overboard and say, it really doesn't matter. We can take a very cynical, skeptical, disillusioned position and just say, ah, Bible reading. Once again, presented as the answer to all of our problems. I was hoping for some real help today. Let's move on. That's one possible response. But here's the third caveat, which is a reply to that response. Being active in the word is not optional for a Christian who is pursuing purity. Not a silver bullet, not a guarantee of purity, but not optional. We can't call optional what is presented to us as vital. Being active in the word is presented to us as foundational. It's in every verse. It's in all of these eight verses that we read. So we can't throw it overboard and say, this is not important. It's presented as vital. What we need to do is look again at what exactly is being said about the word of God. 
and how to take it in. And so that's what we're going to do now. There are two goals that are presented to us here for our time in the word. We're going to take a look at those two goals with an eye toward making them our own goals as we are active in the word. Pursuing purity. But let me say this first to address those of you in the room, watching online, that right now are sliding into frustration, okay? I know you're there. You're sliding into frustration because you came hoping for something that would help you in the area of sexual purity. And that's the right thing to hope for. That's a good expectation. Come expectant. Come wanting help. Come to the scriptures. That's good. But now you're starting to despair and be frustrated because you're staring down the barrel of 15 minutes about how to read your Bible. And that's not what you're looking for. And that's not what you think will get you where you want to go. If that's you, let me offer you this illustration. In 1984, a movie called The Karate Kid was in theaters. It's about a boy named Daniel who lives on the East Coast, but he has to move to the West Coast. When he shows up on the West Coast, starts at his new high school, all these guys are giving him a hard time. He can't hold his own. He doesn't have any skills. He doesn't have any way to get them off his back. So he decides, I'm going to learn karate so that I can get these mean guys off my back and show them a thing or two. So he goes to the best karate teacher in the world who happens to be his landlord. Mr. Miyagi. Expecting to be taught karate so he can take care of those guys. But when Daniel shows up for his first lesson, instead of his teacher, his new instructor, taking him and starting to show him the karate moves and giving him the robe and the belt and breaking boards, instead of any of that happening, Mr. Miyagi You remember, hands him a paintbrush. He says, go paint the fence. And then after that, here's a rag. Go wash my car. And Daniel, of course, is livid, feels taken advantage of, came here to learn karate. I came here to learn a specific Skill set to deal with a presenting problem. And you're making me paint your fence and wash your car. What in the world does this have to do with karate? And we may feel that way about how this issue of sexual purity is being handled. Hey, I've got a presenting problem in my life. I've got this huge problem with sexual impurity It needs to be dealt with. Why are we talking about how to read our Bibles? What in the world is the connection? And how does this help me? What Daniel LaRusso needed was a set of fundamental skills that would provide the necessary foundation for excellence in karate. And his teacher was wise enough to know that. Fundamentals first. 
even if you don't see the connection. The foundation must be built if there's going to be excellence. Daniel thought his teacher was a fool and his teacher was wise. Brothers and sisters, we have a wise teacher. The Holy Spirit is wise. God is wise. God is not simply interested in you avoiding sin. God is interested in discipleship, a lifelong walk together, and lasting change, lasting change in your life is going to be built on the foundation of walking by faith in the word. You have got to learn how to read the word of God. You may not see the connection between these fundamentals and the pursuit of sexual purity. It may frustrate you to think you're working on some ancillary project when you want to be working on something else. But trust the Holy Spirit when he presents us with the answer to our question and the answer is the word, the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. Eight times. Every single verse. And we can stand out by the fence like Daniel and throw our paintbrush down. Or we can entrust ourselves to a wiser mind than we have. And know that he's training us in the way that we should go. Okay? So here we go. Sitting under the teaching of Psalm 119, looking to keep our way pure. And we're given a lesson in how to read our Bibles. So please, please do not go home and say, have someone ask you, what did you learn at church today? And say, well, the pastor told me I need to read my Bible more. No. No, we know we should be reading our Bibles. The real gold here is that we're shown how to read our Bibles. How can I take this in in such a way that it will benefit my soul? How does that happen? That's what we're shown here. That's the gold here. So here are the two goals presented to us for our time in the Word. These are the things we're hoping to accomplish. Number one, internalizing the Word. That's the first goal. Internalizing the Word. That's verse 11. What are we hoping for when we're reading the scriptures in such a way that it benefits our soul? First goal is that we be internalizing the word. So look at verse 11 in your copy of the scriptures. It's probably the most well-known verse in this whole section, maybe in all of Psalm 119. Notice what verse 11 does not say. It does not say, I have stored up your word in my mind. We do not find there, I have stored up your word in my mind. There's great value in scripture memory. I I grew up in Awana, okay? My vest is still somewhere in my mom's garage. My brother was cubby of the year. I was not. I love Awana, and Awana pushes scripture memory, and that's a great thing. That was my 
Those were my real young days. And then when I got to college, I got involved with the Navigators, that wonderful organization that pushes discipleship and pushes scripture memory. And I've got the verse packets, okay? Multiple verse packets with all those memory cards. I have all of those things. Scripture memory is wonderful and valuable, but more important than the word being memorized is the word being internalized. It's more important that you internalize the word than that you memorize the word. Verse 11 of Psalm 119 reads, I have stored up your word in my heart. Not the mind, but the heart. Look, the word has made it all the way from the mind to the heart. To the very inside. It's been internalized. We could say that the word has been taken to heart. Or we could say that the word has been allowed to have its full effect on this author. They've not simply committed it to memory. They have embraced it in their heart. And that's very different, isn't it? We tend to reward having a knowledge of the scriptures. We give out degrees for that kind of a thing. They give you a degree when you have attained to a certain level of knowledge about the scriptures. We reward adults with degrees. We reward kids with candy. If you memorize this verse, you get some candy. I've done that. I've given out candy for scripture memorization. All I'm saying is that when we reward those things, knowledge and scripture memory, what can happen and what does often happen, the result of that is the production of a people who know a lot about the written word, who look very little like the incarnate word. If it never makes it to the heart. How do we know if the word is making it to our heart? That's the, that's the key question, right? Well, am I doing okay with reading the Bible? How do I know that it's making its way to my heart? Here's how we know. Always read to apply. Always read to apply. That's how we know that it's been internalized. When we're ready to do what the word says. So when you sit down and open up your Bible tomorrow morning, take this question with you. What do I see here that I can apply? God, just show me something today that I can put into practice. One thing. That's how we know that the word has made it to our heart. When we stop treating the scriptures like a a corrective for other people or a means to an end for me, or something that I can use as a prop to advance myself, we know that we're internalizing it when it has become a corrective for me. I need this. I have stored up the word in my heart, not my neighbor's heart, not that other person that really needs to hear the scriptures and hear about Jesus. I have stored up the word in my heart. I need to be corrected. Do you have that kind of relationship with your Bible? 
do you approach it expectantly, asking, where will the scriptures correct me today? Show me, Lord, where I need a course correction. That's the attitude commended to us here. Letting it advance to our heart. Remember, we're painting the fence, okay? We're like Daniel out there painting the fence. We don't see any direct line to sexual purity. We're despairing because we don't see how this is helping at all. We're painting the fence. We're learning the fundamentals of how God accomplishes this interior renovation. Purity is a result of a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, where we love him and obey him and, and do what he says. We honor him with our lives. And we will not get to that point in the relationship if we refuse to put into practice the things that he's given us to do. Remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man. So we're always reading to apply. First goal, to be internalizing the word. Second goal, to be enjoying the word. That's verses 14 and 16. Read with the goal of enjoying the word. Internalizing and enjoying All right? Those are the two words for today. It summarizes everything. Internalizing and enjoying. There are two indicators here that this author is really enjoying the word. Verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. And many of you there will have rejoice. Almost all the translations have rejoice there, except for mine. And rejoice is probably the better translation. Notice the root word is joy. There's joy here. I'm finding joy here. I'm rejoicing in the way of your testimonies. That's one indicator. And then we come to verse 16. I will delight in your statutes. The idea behind this word here, delight, really is pleasure. Taking pleasure in. Scriptures are bringing this person pleasure. They are a delight to this person. How many different ways can this author say in these eight verses that they're enjoying the word? What do we take away from that? Well, if nothing else, we learn that God's word is a source of pleasure. It does have the capacity to bring a person delight and pleasure. It's different from sexual pleasure. It's in a different category, but it's enjoyable nevertheless. And it's worth noting that pleasure in the word of God was the kind of pleasure we see in the life of Jesus, who did not know sexual pleasure. But that doesn't mean that he didn't know pleasure. His pleasure was in something else. It was in knowing the Father, doing the will of the Father in the Word of God. I'm not saying that pleasure in the Word is a substitute for sexual pleasure, as in you need to trade this for that. 
What we're saying on the basis of the word of God is that there is satisfying, there's a satisfying, pleasurable, enjoyable quality to the scriptures that was part of the life of Jesus and now is made available to us through him. So the word is not only here for our correction, it's also for our enjoyment. Do you ever read the Bible to enjoy it? Did you know that that's okay? Did you know that you can read to apply and to enjoy? I have two columns in my Bible reading journal. One says apply. One says enjoy. It's just my simple goal when I read the Bible every day to have something in the column of apply. What do I see that I can apply? And something in the column of enjoy. What do I find here that is enjoyable? What do I learn about God or, or Jesus that I'm just so thankful for and that I love? By the power of the Holy Spirit, our souls are being renovated, brothers and sisters. Because of all of this help the Holy Spirit is giving us in Psalm 119, because of the Holy Spirit's daily empowering, all because of the Holy Spirit, we're undertaking the renovating of our souls, spiritual formation, developing a vital, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where the desire for purity springs from. So now we're applying the word like Jesus said to, and now we're enjoying the word like Jesus did himself, applying and enjoying. And if you need a starting point, if you just need some direction here, where do I begin? This all sounds really good, but how do I put it into practice? Just start very simply tomorrow. Read one chapter from the Old Testament, one from the New, and one Psalm. Keep it very simple, one, one, and one. Make it your daily habit. You can begin tomorrow morning. Read to apply, read to enjoy. It'll take you about 12 minutes. And you will be amazed at how timely the word is, how God will give you just what you need on a particular day. So now we've painted the fence, we've washed the car, putting the fundamentals into place, trusting that our teacher, the Holy Spirit, is wiser than we are. Here's one last thing. The last couple minutes here, I just want to attempt to come alongside the person who, who is still listening, who says, you know, I've tried that, and that did not work. I've, I've tried reading the Bible. I've even tried reading it in the way that you're describing, and it just did not work, and I got nowhere. And so... I don't even want to try again. I want you to know that I understand that thought and I sympathize with that thought. And I have you in mind. And I love you. But this is what I want to say to you. I want to say to you and just remind you that God's word always works. There is never a time where God's word does not work. His word is living 
It is active. It always accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it. And that means that your time in the word is never wasted. It may not have produced the kind of fruit that you have been hoping to see. But that does not mean that it has been in vain. Just because there has been failure, that does not mean that you are not close to Jesus. And that his word is not active in your life. And I want to be very careful here because we don't want to make excuses for sin. Do not want to make excuses for sin. But we do want to be reminded that God's ways are mysterious. And in his providence, in the providence of Jesus, he allows his disciples to fail. And to experience deep disappointment. That's inescapable when we read the New Testament. Even disciples that are very, very close to Jesus who should know better fail in a huge way. And you will fail, and so will I. We could take these five strands that we're talking about, could gather up all the notes, keep them close to our hearts. We could do a a bang-up job for the next 40 years trying to do our best, and those 40 years would still be tinged with failures of various kinds. And that's one of the great comforts about being active in the Word because we are reminded that we're not the only disciples who fail. We're not the only ones who feel regret and weep over sin like Peter did. Jesus lets his disciples fail and be disappointed. We have to conclude that's part of the life of being a disciple of Jesus. It's not an excuse to go out and fail more. It's an explanation of what we see happen in our lives. Failure, including failure in sexual purity, is a part of our lives, and failure is why we need Jesus. If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need a Savior. And that's the last thing we want to say about how to read our Bibles. Read to apply, read to enjoy, and read to see Jesus, who has covered all of our failures with his blood. And has not disowned us, but has met us in the morning just as the day is breaking and called to us from the shore. Once again, come follow me. That's your Jesus. That's your teacher. It's the Jesus revealed to us in the scriptures. And he says to you today, I've paid for your failure Come follow me. All right. Heavenly Father, we give our hearts to you. All of our good intentions and all of our resolves are, are as nothing. 
unless the Holy Spirit be part of it. Now, lest I have preached to others and myself be disqualified, I pray that you would renew passion in my own heart to follow the wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. And secondly, I lift up my brothers and sisters, lest any of them not know real life and real joy in seeing you and following the wonderful Savior, Jesus. I pray that you would hold them by your grace. Give them fresh resolve. Give them joy in the scriptures. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen.